You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey all, Michael here. I am one of the pastors of the Village Church. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. I'm the one that gets to do this, uh, lead us in the Word more often than not. So for real, thanks for uh, tuning in this morning or this afternoon or this evening or wherever or whenever this finds you. We're in my house again, and so uh, you'll hear the cars going by and all that stuff, and hey, that's okay. Um, I've been working on a puzzle with my daughter. This past week, it's it's black and white, uh, basically all white with black lines, and the idea is that you put that puzzle together, and, and then when you're finished, you can color it as you would like. Um, she actually just finished it last night. She's way better at puzzles than I am. Um, so as we're building that thing, we look at what it's supposed to look like. We look at the box as any normal, rational puzzle builder does, right? We look at the box, and, and we keep going back to that as we're finding things. Uh, we build towards that end piece by piece, but but even in that, it's, it's riddled with unknowns along the way. Like, like there might be a piece that looks like it fits, but, but try as you might, it just doesn't fit. Or, or there might be a piece that, that you just can't find for, for hours. And, and finally, it's sitting right there in front of you, and it, and it falls into place. Or, or there might be a piece that you can't find, and you can't find it because it's under the box or, or under the, the table or in the dog's mouth or whatever. God, He is different than us, right? He, he does not walk in unknowns. He does not walk in unknowns in the ancient Near East and, and Egypt, uh, like we're going to be talking about today. He does not walk in unknowns today, and He does not walk in unknowns forever into the future. He knows it all. He painted, uh, he painted the puzzle that is our life, that is all of creation, that is all of time. We... We don't know it all, but he does know it all. And the difference is, is time. It's time that, that deconstructs the knowns from the unknowns. And for us, that works in a linear way. We have, to, we have to wait to see what happens next, but God, he's different. He is outside of time. Uh, he, he only unfolds things over time for us. Right? Because we're not outside of time. Um, and so when we let our minds go there, that takes us places. And when we forget that God is outside of time, and when we forget that, that God is the, the master builder working all things, uh, we, we miss in some really important ways. And, and the first one is, is we undervalue our place. When, when we forget that, that God is bigger than we are and he's building a bigger story than, than we can, then we undervalue our place. We forget that, that we actually do fit into God's story in significant ways. We matter. All right? Um, we are one piece in a huge, grand puzzle. But, but we do matter. And the other side of that is, is that we would overvalue our place. That that we would forget that there is a story outside of us. We would forget that, that we are not the only piece on the planet that ever has been, that ever will be, or that even exists 
right now in this moment. So, so we forget the big picture, right? Um, the reason these misses are so harmful is because when we miss the story, it's so easy for us to mistrust the author, all right? It's so easy for us to think that, that everything unfolds now or, or, or we're not being let in on something. And, and sometimes that's, that's true. But when we understand that things are bigger, then we get to this main idea that I hope that we can unpack over the next few minutes. It's, it's this, that God unfolds history with all of his people and with all of the sands of time in mind. Right? God unfolds history with all his people and with all the sands of time in mind. Um, for those that, who have not been tracking with us, we've been working through this book called Exodus. It's towards the beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, and it's, and it's really the story of God's rescue, all right? Rescuing his people from Egypt, uh, his people, the Hebrews, they were slaves in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years, and he comes and he calls this guy Moses to confront Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to, uh, to pull his people away so that his people might worship and serve him on the mountain. That's kind of been the thing, right? Um, and what's been happening is, is God has been uh, pummeling Pharaoh in Egypt with these resounding strikes, or what the Bible calls plagues. And, and we have to ask ourselves, why? Right? Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he just soften Pharaoh's heart in a moment? Or why would, why would he not just give them one final death blow on the front end and, and call this thing a wrap? He doesn't do that, and, and he's been giving us a little reason why, right? We don't have to know all of the answers, but we do get to trust God as things unfold, and, and we get to remember things like this that comes from Romans chapter 8, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So as we consider those things, right, with all that in mind, we're going to dive in. So you heard the focal passage, but, but as kind of a summary, we see the same thing in this eighth play that we've seen many times before. We see uh, God engage Moses, and in and, and this way he does it a little differently. He tells him uh, a little backstory. He says, Moses, I'm doing this so that you can tell your sons and your grandsons, which is kind of cool. And we will get to that in a few minutes. But then he goes on, and he says, through, through Moses, give uh, Pharaoh this ultimatum that, that I'm going to bring this uh, these locusts and they're going to destroy everything. They're going to undo all of the creation that I have built uh, in your um, in the land of Egypt. And, and so all the living things and all the, the green things, these locusts, they're going to make it dark and they're going to devour lots of stuff. And so, uh, so let my people go. And then we see Pharaoh, he, he doesn't he doesn't let um, his people go, and so there's uh, his, uh, his servants come along, and they, they ask him, Pharaoh, like, how long will you continue to do this? Um, God had asked him, how long will you continue to, to refuse to humble yourself? And so he's getting a lot of questions, and so he renegotiates with Moses a little bit, and, and we will unpack that. Uh, at the end of that, he, he, talks, he tells him to leave, and then he hardens his heart, and the locusts come, and then he repents and he says, oh, Moses, please tell your God to stop. And then God relents and Moses once again 
hardens his heart. It's, it's the story of life. So with all of that in mind, we come to this first point, and here's what it is. All of this with generations in mind. So, so all of this stuff that's been happening with generations in mind, I'm going to start off, I'm just reading 10, 1 and 2. So this is Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. Right, he's telling us a little bit of the why. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Man, that puzzle that, that Ira and I were working on this week, it's not the first puzzle that we've tackled in this household. A few years back, uh, I had this great idea, and I think it sounds something like this. Uh, hey, a puzzle would be fun. And so I, I bought this puzzle, and it was like a 10 million piece, I don't know, 5,000, 2,000. It was, it was many, many pieces, all right? And they were much smaller than I had anticipated. So we opened the thing, and it was some Italian waterscape, and lots of blues that looked all the same, and it was a terrible idea. Um, that puzzle's in our attic. It's unfinished. Uh, we're not working on that, right? My plans were too big for our capacity for puzzles, or, or at least for our patience for puzzles at that time. Here's the deal, though. God, he has big plans. God's plans are bigger than any puzzle you've ever attempted to put together in your entire life. God's story is one story. I remember when I was young, hearing my dad tell me stories. And they were probably just dumb stories about um, something he did in high school or, or uh, you know, how he broke his legs slipping on ice. And, and I just remember being captivated by, by that idea. And I remember I couldn't grasp how um, things were so fresh in his mind. And he was so old. I mean, he was probably like 35 years old. And he was telling me about schoolmates in, in fifth grade. and. Um, I remember asking my grandma before she passed away. I, I remember specifically telling her, Hey, Mama, will, will you tell me a story? You know, tell me a story about when you were younger or whatever. As if stories were these, you know, books on a shelf that she would just kind of walk in and, and pull one down. And, 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 and now I tell stories. And, and my kids, and I mean, we tell stories in our house. But, but my kids are intrigued in such a way that when we do things, they have a mindfulness that as we deal with this corona stuff, they have a mindfulness that, that they are building uh, stories to tell their kids and their grandkids. And, and the reality is uh, stories are, are not books on a shelf. They're just, they're just memories of one big story. And that's why, that's why it's easy for us to recount that, that we don't isolate that time that this happened. That we just, we just kind of write our story and sometimes it just comes out, right? So why would God want Moses and the Egyptians to know what he has done here? He, he's pretty explicit. He's already told Pharaoh uh, in the last chapter that his heart has been hardened, that God is engaging him as he is, so that, his, so that God's name might be made great, so that people might know who he is in the land of Egypt. And, and then here we see Moses, we're doing this, and, and Pharaoh's heart 
a heart is hardened, that you may tell your son and your grandson that I've dealt harshly with them. Right? And then he says, that I may show my signs among them. Why would he do that? It's that, that they may know that he is God. That he is authoring a story that he creates and that he rescues and he redeems and he rebuilds in the face of sin and opposition. He wants his story told. That's why we have this book and these accounts so that we might be the sons and the grandsons and the daughters and the granddaughters, that we might hear of his great name. Well, what does that mean for us? What does this mean for us? It means that God is deeply committed to, and he cares deeply for, for his creation to know that he is God. If we forget this, and, and hear me, humanity forgets this, and we forget this. We have to be reminded of it. When we forget this, we malfunction. We malfunction individually. We malfunction as uh, communities. We don't live in the way in which we were de designed with God's good purposes in mind. It would be like a, uh, a computer that, that the hard drive glitches and it just doesn't function proper, properly. Or, or a, a phone with a touch screen that's cracked and, and it just... It doesn't function the way that it was designed to function. That's what we do when we forget that, that God is God and no one else is like him. So just like my dad and, and his stories or, or me as dad and my stories to the kids, God has generations in mind. All right? Not one generation, not two, but all of the generations throughout all time, with every act that he does, with every interaction he has, he has all the generations in mind. And unlike uh, dad, and, and unlike me, and unlike you, his ways are perfect. And it's not only a, a linear, you know, along one line, me to my kids, and, and my dad, and, and this, this linear uh, history that's unfolding, but it's a layered history, uh, one upon the other upon the other, uh, there's this saying, it, it goes way back to the 12th century, but, but Isaac Newton kind of coined it in light of scientific discoveries, and, and this is what he says. He says, if I have seen further than others, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. Surely, we have a greater glimpse than those who have gone before us do. But it's because of their stories, because of their testimony, because of the testimony of Moses and, and all who have gone be between and before and since and who will go after, that we get to see a wider view of the fullness of God. And we don't get, just get to see that, but we get to pass that down. We get to pass on the great name of our great God. God unfolds history with all people and with all time in mind, right? And all of this with generations in mind. And the second thing is this, all of this with the whole family in mind. It is easy to feel isolated right now. Like, we get that. It is easy to feel isolated when, when literally uh, the governing bodies around us are telling us to stay home. Stay in your home. We are under... Uh, a state and, and essentially a national quarantine uh, so that we might not spread a virus. But, but you know what? It, it's, it's easy to feel 
isolated when we're not quarantined as well. And, and I think we all know that. We, we isolate ourselves or others based on many, many things like, like uh, job and, and education and gender and age and what neighborhood we live in. And we promote and we, we minimize. But, but here's the thing. God does not desire you less or more because of any of those things. Not because of any of those things. We'll see this in just a minute, but God desires to be God, and He desires that His people would be His people, but, but things get in the way of that. And one of the things is Pharaoh and his hard heart. Right? Pharaoh's pride. Pharaoh and pride go hand in hand. Pride is like, uh, like a virus. It consumes its host, and it has one thing in mind, and that one thing is self-preservation. So we see this in Pharaoh over and over again. He becomes defensive and he becomes narcissistic and self-absorbed. And, and we see it on every page in this interaction. But one practical way that pride invades and, and reveals itself is through, through nonsense. What we see in this passage today is, is it forces, uh, pride forces its host to make terrible decisions, to to. Uh, project self-interest or the interest of a nation in this case, right? Um, and so what we see in this just small segment, we see, we see pride show up in Pharaoh. He refuses to be humbled. So God says, how long will you refuse to be humbled? We see that it leads to ruin. That his, his own servants say, say, how long will you allow this man and his God to continually bring ruin upon us? We see that, it, that he's paranoid. He's He's making accusation that they are uh, up to evil when, when they want to go worship their God in the, on the mountain. He, he begins to bargain, and when he's against the ropes, he, he, he turns fickle, and he, he changes his mind. He lies, and, and he makes false promises, and, and he brings destruction wherever he goes. That's what pride does in Pharaoh. And hear me, that is what pride does. That is what pride does in us. So, so as we continue to look at Pharaoh... His pride is a great self-reflection tool for us. Um, for us who get stuck in our ways, right? Um, when, when we have hard hearts, we get to ask things like, like this. Who am I fighting against? What am I fighting against? What specifically am I fighting for? And if we can acknowledge some of these questions in the moment, um, sometimes some simple self-reflection and perspective can help kind of pull us out of these hard-hearted, rebellion, uh, re rebellious interactions that, that we put forth. And so, uh, and, and they can sometimes bring us back to reality. That doesn't happen with Pharaoh. Um, but if we zoom in real tight here and we see how he is, he is bargaining. So we're jumping into Exodus 10, 7 through 11. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is in ruin, or that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Right? So he's saying, Okay, so you can do this, but... but uh, who of you are going to go? And this is what Moses says. He finds 
some boldness that I can't help but to think is it isn't built on what God has already told him. At the beginning of this interaction, he says, Moses, this is for you and, and your son and your grandson, right? It's, it's for the generations. And so Moses, with that in mind, he says, uh, in response to Pharaoh, Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go. It's like a real snarky, sarcastic, you know, the, the Lord be with you. He's being uh, snarky. If ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And as we read from there, things get bad. The locusts come. And, uh, and he repents, and, and, and uh, God relents, and then his heart is hardened, and he did not let the people go. We will go with young and old, with sons and daughters, with flocks and herds, to hold a feast to the Lord. Uh, he won't let the, the little ones go, and, and, and he suggests that the men go alone. And Moses, he doesn't even respond. God doesn't even respond to this. Look how much God cares about the entire family. And I would say, uh, if you're with your family right now, just, just have this in mind. If, if you don't have a family or you're alone right now, just consider what this might be. Or, or look around and just consider God's family as, as he's put it together. I don't care if you are a man or a woman or a son or a daughter or black or, or white, or tiny, or huge, or married, or, or single, or a kid, or, or if you have kids, or rich, or poor, or any of those things, what God's saying is, no, I want you because you're mine, and I am yours, and I want us to have a feast together, all of the family. So God doesn't push for more conversation. What he does is, is he calls Moses to raise his hand and signal the judgment upon Pharaoh and his hard heart and Egypt, and, and he brings the locust. Now, why? Why did God do that? It's because God isn't concerned with making deals. He's not concerned with making deals which lessen his plan. And his plan is to have the whole family, young, old, sons, daughters, flocks, herds, together around a meal of celebration and worship to their one, true, good, holy God. God acts through and, and he unfolds all of history with the whole family in mind. Every piece of the puzzle is essential to seeing the big picture. That's true for his people held captive in Egypt with his desire to rescue them that they might worship him on the mountain. And look, that's still true today. So, so I ask us, do you feel minimized? Do you feel marginalized? Do you feel neglected? Do you feel like uh, you don't fit? Or, or maybe the contrast of that, do you put others in those categories? And do you marginalize? And do you neglect? And do you minimize? Or are we, by contrast to that pride within us, are we delighted that even today, here and now, th th there are no distinction between 
God's people, young, old, married, single, rich, poor, all of the contrasts that you can conjure in your mind. God, God doesn't care in His love that He has for you. God unfolds history with all people and with all time in mind. All of this with generations in mind. All of this with the whole family in mind. And third, all of this with all of you in mind. I don't know if you've seen Lego Wars. Anybody? Anybody seen Lego Wars? I see that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> That's a surprise, right? Um, it's, it's just what you might think it is. It's, it's a, a reality-based game show. Someone gets sent home each week or whatever. Um, they have a, uh, a plan. They have instructions. And they're Lego artists. They're master builders. And so there are teams, pairs that, that interact together. And uh, what they do is, is the, the very first one, it was, man, you need, to de you need to design a theme for an amusement park. And so they had pirate theme and, and kind of all different themes, all right? Individually, they do that. And then when, when the, towards the end of the show, they, they bring them all together. And what happened was these individuals that are made of, of hundreds of thousands of tiny individual Legos form buildings and structures and, and mechanical uh, stuff that, that moves and, and all of these things. And, and they build a little theme, a, a slice of the park, on their own, and then at the end they put all of them together, and what it looks like is this ginormous Lego amusement park with all sorts of different themes like you can't imagine. The account of Exodus, it stands on its own, but, but it isn't the final chapter in God's redemption. It's, it's much bigger, there's a much bigger story, and it's not only the Hebrews that are being rescued from Egypt, but it's, but it's all who call upon his name being rescued from sin and hell and death. And he sends not, not only one who was like Moses, but, but the greater Moses, the greater rescuer who, who acts on behalf of the people as a mediator. And, and what he does is he, he keeps on building. He keeps building his kingdom. And later on in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul, he writes to his church at Ephesus, and, and this is in Ephesians chapter 4. He kind of puts all this together for us to show us how those individual pieces fit into the, to the larger puzzle and how that, that larger puzzle fits into the scheme of God's working for all time with all of his people in mind. And this is what he says. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he, and he quotes a psalm, he says, when he ascended on high, he's talking about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And so what he's saying is, when, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, when, when, when he uh, ascended and as he rules and reigns as he, is, as, he, as he is right now, he led a host of people who were in need of rescue. 
He rescues us, and that's true for, for God's rescue in, in Egypt, and that's true for all who humble themselves, who turn from sin, who turn to God. One God, one family, for all time. So we, we get to consider much today, but just, just three things. We get to join God's family. If you've not done that, God is, is the model for adoption. He shows us what it looks like to invite in the outcast and the downcast. He would invite you into his family today. And all you have to do is trust that, that Jesus was enough to bridge the, cap, the gap between God's holiness and your own sinfulness. Right? And so uh, we get to join God's family. Secondly, we get to be God's family. And what that means for us as we're sitting on our couches or in our cars or wherever we are, it means that we get to be an encouragement to one another, to the family around us. Or if you find yourself by yourself today, I mean, shoot out a text of encouragement and just let, let others who are part of God's family know that, that you're mindful of them. We get to be God's family even as we're scattered out. And, and lastly, we get to build God's family. That means that we get to remember that, that every single one of us fit into God's story. And, and we get to tell that story so that others might be a part of God's family as well. One God, one family for all time. God unfolds history with all people and with all time in mind. That means me, that means you, and that means your neighbor. Right? So we get to respond today as we normally would. If the church was gathered, we get to to sing, repent, pray, uh, let God transform us from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for being you and for your gifts, uh, your goodness and your word to show us that you care about every single piece of the puzzle that is the story of, of redemption, that, that is your story for all time. Would you let us feel that as we see you fight for your people as we see you declare to Moses that, that what you did in Egypt was for him and for his kids and his, and his kids' kids and, and throughout all the time for us that we might see you as you are as a rescuer and that, that we might see you in an even uh, more specific, greater way through the person of Jesus. Thank you for your good gift to us. You let us trust you all the more today as we are reminded that you unfold history with all people and with all time in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.